Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. In this podcast today, I'm going to be talking about weight gain in your fatigue recovery as well as body image. This was actually inspired by a DM that I got through Instagram. In the new year, I posted a reel which was me swimming in the sea, obviously in my swimming costume and somebody had sent me a DM saying how did you stay thin in your fatigue recovery and my response was actually well I didn't stay thin or I didn't maintain the same weight through my fatigue recovery. My weight changed through fatigue recovery as I moved through different stages of my journey for different reasons. In my first year of fatigue recovery I actually lost a lot of weight I had started out doing more of a low carb diet, managing blood sugar, doing a bit of a ketogenic diet and some fasting. And I did lose some weight from that. But additionally, I also had a lot of GI imbalances. I had chronic diarrhea. I wasn't absorbing my food properly. I wasn't absorbing nutrients properly. I was quite dehydrated from the diarrhea. So I also lost a lot of weight in a very unhealthy way. And then after I had my mold re-exposure, I gained all of that weight back. But at the same time, I'd also lost muscle mass. So although my weight was the same as what it was perhaps when I first started, I had a lot less muscle and a lot more body fat. And then as I have become more and more well and I've started resistance training, I have been really focusing on building muscle mass that I've lost during my fatigue recovery and building the strength that I lost in my fatigue recovery. And as I've been doing this, my weight has actually just stayed exactly the same. I have more muscle mass now. I have less body fat, but my overall appearance is perhaps a bit leaner, but my weight is exactly the same. So why do I share all of this personal background with you? It's really just to sort of pre-frame this episode, which is just saying that things change throughout your fatigue recovery journey. And often it can feel out of control. And if you were somebody who already came into your chronic fatigue experience with some body image issues or not always feeling comfortable in your own skin, that can be particularly challenging. So what I would like to focus on this episode is a few different things. We'll start off much more on the practical side of things. I'll talk about why we might experience weight gain in our fatigue recovery journey over and above the most obvious reasons. I'll also talk a little bit about what we can do maybe to mitigate that if that's something we want to, bearing in mind when you're recovering from something like chronic fatigue syndrome or a big burnout or a big traumatic event, worrying about your weight is just probably an extra stress for the most part. I'll give you some principles that you can follow in terms of exercise, in terms of diet that might be helpful. And then we'll finish up at the end talking a little bit more about the nervous system and talking a little bit more about the concept of body image. Bearing in mind, I'm not an eating disorder specialist. I'm not a body image specialist. So this will really just be touching quite lightly on the subject. But if you are somebody who maybe does have quite a disturbed eating disorder or maybe needs a lot of emotional support, then I would also perhaps listen to 
other podcasts by other people in these areas specifically. So let's just start off by looking at why we gain weight. Now, if you are following the traditional kind of fitness advice, you may have heard the term, well, calories in versus calories out. We need to be eating less than we expend or matching our energy intake with our energy output if we want to either lose weight or maintain our weight respectively. And I do think that there is truth in the calories in, calories out model. If you want to maintain your weight, there needs to probably be some sort of balance there. And if you want to lose weight, there needs to be some sort of deficit there as well. But I also think that it's much more complicated than that. And I shared a little bit about how when I was in my second year of recovery and I had had a mold re-exposure, I put on a lot of weight. And obviously there's various reasons why that weight maybe was gained, but I was eating pretty much the same as I had always been eating for the first year of my recovery when I had been losing weight. And so we kind of need to think about, well, if it was just calories in and just calories out, what was maybe going on there? And so this is where I'd like to introduce the concept of toxic load. So a lot of people who experience fatigue have toxic overload, whether that is toxic load from something like mold mycotoxins or heavy metals or chemical pollutants or something else, maybe GI imbalances and endotoxins coming in through the gut. And in a healthy functioning person, if they have, you know, good liver and gallbladder function and they're able to carry these toxins out of the body, that's great. But when there is a toxic overload, then these toxins build up in the body. The liver might become overwhelmed. Detoxification can become compromised. And these toxins have to go somewhere. So if these toxins are fat soluble, the best place for them to go is to go into body fat, which means that the body needs to have more fat to hold the toxins. And this can also make weight loss a little bit challenging because we need to then be able to detoxify in order to lose weight. So that's one, not necessarily the only reason why I suspect that I gained weight in my second year of recovery. I was dealing with a much bigger toxic overload. The December when that weight gain started, which was at the same time I was living in a moldy home, I did a blood test and my liver enzymes were raised or one of my liver enzymes was raised. So that's a classic sign my liver was working really hard. Um, and so that's one of my suspicions about why I gained weight. Obviously, it's different for everyone, but I just share on my personal experience just to give some context to the more technical explanations. Another reason why somebody might gain weight during their fatigue recovery journey is losing muscle mass. I'm sure you've heard the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's very true for our muscle mass. Now, if you were someone who had a lot of muscle and you're starting to become more sedentary, it actually takes quite a long time to lose muscle mass. But we might accelerate that muscle mass loss if we're not eating enough protein, if we're not moving at all or enough, if we perhaps have malabsorption. So, you know, we might be eating food, but we're not really able to absorb it and assimilate it. 
or if there's a lot of tissue breakdown. So in my case, I had this chronic diarrhea, which meant that my food was just passing through me. And when that's happening and you may be not moving enough, your body doesn't need to have a lot of muscle. So it's potentially going to break down and use that the energy created from the muscle breakdown to do other things. So there can be this loss of muscle mass that happens because maybe you've been ill for a long time and there is this deterioration of muscle mass that happens over time. But there can also be things that accelerate that, like you know, even if you get a cold or a flu, I was um, recently very unwell over Christmas for about a week and I lost five pounds in five days just because of the energy it was taking from my immune system to fight off the infection. And fun fact, I know I'm kind of going on a little tangent here, but an active immune system cannot use fat. So that those five pounds that I lost when I had a fever were not five pounds of body fat, it was five pounds of muscle mass because my body was breaking down my muscles to make glucose to fuel my immune system so it could fight the infection. And you know, if things like that are happening to you, either on a low grade level or a big fiery level, like when you are properly sick, that's another thing that will break down your muscle mass. So as we break down muscle mass, our metabolic rate decreases over time, and then we're much likely to experience changes in body composition, like more body fat, even if you are at the same weight. Other reasons why we may gain weight may be blood sugar imbalances. So I did a whole episode on blood sugar, which was episode 10. So you can always go back and listen to that. But if we are eating carbohydrates in an inappropriate amount for our unique tolerance, so we're eating more carbohydrate than our body can tolerate, then that extra carbohydrate has got to go somewhere. And initially it will go to the liver. Um, but if the liver is overloaded with toxins, that's not necessarily going to be very helpful. It might go to our muscles, but if we're experiencing a decrease in muscle mass and we're not moving that much, it's only going to be a short space of time until those muscle glycogen stores become full. And then eventually, if the liver is too busy dealing with toxins, our muscles are too busy or are too sedentary and too full of glucose already, then that glucose is going to turn into fat and get stored on the body. So this is where optimizing blood sugar and eating appropriate amounts of carbohydrates for your unique tolerance is going to be quite important. And if you're not doing that, weight gain can be a side effect. Other reasons may also be GI imbalances. So we know that there is a relationship between the gut microbiome and our metabolism. And if there are gut imbalances, that can be a cause of weight gain. And then we've got just general physical inactivity. If you're fatigued, if you're not doing as much exercise as you used to, or as you know a healthy person might be doing, that's going to have an impact on that energy in, energy out balance. And then finally, comfort eating. So when you're feeling tired, when you haven't slept well, when you're feeling achy, when you're in a flare, when you're stuck inside and everybody is outside, when you can't do the things you want to do, there's a lot of emotions that come up with the whole experience of chronic illness. 
And some people may turn to food or some people may use food to cope. And I say this without judgment because we all have our coping mechanisms. But if this is a pattern for you, you tend to use food as a coping mechanism, then we really want to start to expand and look for other coping mechanisms and ones ones which might be more supportive for health and ones which might be more supportive of a healthy body weight. So those are just a few different things. Overall balance of calories in, calories out, blood sugar imbalances, toxic load, gut imbalances, loss of muscle mass, inactivity and comfort eating, nutrient deficiencies might be another one as well. But the thing that all of these have in common is that they are all a side effect of the dis-ease. So people who have a chronic illness might not necessarily have all of these things on the list, but in my experience working with different clients, they often have several or sometimes even all of them. So people with a chronic disease might have a blood sugar imbalance or metabolic issue. They may be experiencing toxic load. They may have gut imbalances um, and they may be experiencing nervous system dysregulation, which is then driving them to comfort eat. They may also have nutrient deficiencies. And all of this might mean that they're not exercising or moving their body and they're losing muscle mass. So all of these reasons why someone would gain weight, they're not a separate thing. It's not a weight loss problem that you have in addition to the chronic disease experience or the chronic fatigue experience. It's all part and parcel of the experience, which means that we don't need to separately work on weight loss in addition to what we're doing to work on our fatigue recovery What we actually want to do is work on our fatigue recovery and then trust that weight loss naturally happens as a consequence of that change. And so weight loss may or may not be a natural side effect of your healing. And therefore, we don't necessarily want to get ahead of ourselves. So if you're somebody who maybe has been in a pattern in the past of needing to control your weight to feel safe or having you know a body image discomfort around how you look or how you feel in your skin it can be very tempting to want to rush ahead because it feels uncomfortable it can feel really uncomfortable when your body is changing and it feels out of control and having a chronic fatigue experience also feels very much out of control. You know, that that's just a recipe for nervous system dysregulation, which I'll come to in a moment. But if we're somebody who doesn't have the capacity to hold the discomfort, then we want to manage the dysregulation by rushing ahead and trying to do something about it. And that might mean that we literally or figuratively want to run before we can walk or we want to restrict our food intake too much, or we want to go into habits of trying to manage our body. And these can often be counterproductive because it might mean that we exercise too much over and above our capacity, and then we crash and then we feel frustrated. Or we overly restrict food, we try to diet too hard, do too much fasting, do too much restriction, 
And then that only gets us so far and then dysregulation catches up with us and then there's a crash or a binge or we just feel depleted. And the whole time the body is in this state of stress and dysregulation while we're trying to manage everything and that's really counterproductive to healing. So the best piece of advice I can give here is we really just want to focus on the most important step in our healing journey in this moment in time. So you can ask yourself, what is the most important thing right now? Is it that you need to work on your nervous system? And that might be doing a program like my nurturing resilience program, or it might be, you know, working one-to-one somatically with myself or someone similarly qualified, or maybe doing a self-study course or, or something else on your own. It could be that you need to work on addressing imbalances in your gut, whether that is a parasite or SIBO or something else that might be going on in your digestive system, which is stalling your progress. Or it might be you're in the stage of your recovery where you're doing detoxification practices, you're using binders, you're using a sauna, you're focusing a lot on detox, and that should be your primary focus. Or it might be something else. So when I'm working with clients, we're kind of always thinking about what are the big rocks? What are the big rocks we need to move so that we can move this journey forward? And sometimes less is more. Sometimes taking a step back is taking a step forward. But we're always thinking about what's the most important thing to focus on right now? What's going to move the needle forward? And that's how you want to be thinking as well, whether or not weight loss is a goal or weight maintenance is a goal, or you just want to um, feel better in your skin. We're just thinking about what's the most important thing right now and trusting that following that breadcrumb trail of the most important things as you move through your journey is going to lead you overall to where you want to be in the bigger picture, in the bigger context of your health and of your life and all the years that you have left on this planet. So once you're focusing on the most important thing, then we kind of just want to think about, well, what are just some basic principles that you could be using to manage your weight or limit weight gain? And for the most part, if you're on a fatigue recovery journey, these are the most important things or these are the foundations that you want to be building and laying for all the work you have to do, whatever your case may be. So the first is to just move your body as much as it allows you to do in the context of your health. For some people that might just be moving from the bed to the couch twice a day or three times a day or just getting up to go to the bathroom or doing some stretches. And for others, it might be going for a walk or practicing a little bit of yoga or qigong or maybe even something even more intense. You just want to make sure that you're moving and you're moving to the extent that your body will allow. And you're moving not with the idea that this movement is going to burn calories or burn fat or anything like that, but it's moving with the understanding that moving is preserving the muscle mass that you do have right now. Because when you move your body and you use your muscles, it's saying to your body, I still need this. And as long as your body is receiving the signal, I still need this, it's not going to break it down and use that energy for other things. 
We also know that movement is really important for the lymphatic system. So if detoxification is a goal, movement can help move the lymphatic system so that we're getting toxins out of the body. Movement is also important for our circulation. So for blood flow, carrying nutrients to cells, oxygenation of cells, these are all really important things that the body needs for healthy cells and a healthy body and then a healthy you. Movement can also be fantastic for stress management. Just going outside, a walk in nature can feel amazing. Doing some stretches or a yoga or a yin class can also be really great for the nervous system. Movement is also just enjoyable. At least I find exercise and movement enjoyable. I know not everybody does, but movement can be a really pleasurable experience. Movement can also be supportive of building new and healthy mitochondria. And it's a hormetic stressor, which means that it can be in the right dosage, anti-inflammatory for the body. So it can be supportive of your health as a whole. So there are lots of reasons to move, which go over and above burning fats or burning calories. And part of the fatigue recovery journey is moving as much as you can as appropriate for your body in the here and now, but over time expanding that so you build overall capacity of your system. So in addition to movement, we want to think about food and nutrition. And although I said it's not as simple as calories in, calories out, we do still want to make sure that the food that we're eating is supportive of our health, is supportive of our fatigue recovery journey. And if we're getting that right, it's probably also going to be supportive of managing weight at least and maybe even supporting weight loss at best if that's something that you're desiring. So from a food perspective, we want to have a sensible calorie intake. And the reason why I say sensible is because sometimes people think that they need to eat a lot less. So your body, on average body, needs about 1400 calories a day just to function, to make sure your brain is working, your liver is working, your heart is beating, all the different organs of the body are able to do their thing. And at rest, before you've got out of bed and walked to the sofa, you need 1400 calories. And obviously a bigger person may need more, a smaller person may need less, but that is, this is the average. So bearing in mind then you also need energy for your healing. You need energy for the movement that you are doing. You need energy for your brain to think and do cognitive challenges. You need energy for all the different activities of daily living that you do every single day, which means that anything from about you know 1600 calories plus is going to be a good amount of food to take in or a good amount of calories to take in. But obviously, we also don't want to eat too much. So if you're eating 2,500, 3,000 calories a day and you're gaining weight, well, yes, then the most obvious thing would be to reduce that a little bit if you're not happy about the weight gain. But what I'm really trying to stress here is that we really don't want to undereat. If you're already energetically challenged, understand that your body needs energy and it needs all the nutrients that come from food to function really well. And under eating and restricting food is not helpful. You want to get a sense of how much energy you're using up on a daily basis and then match that. And then once you've got that sort of sense of how much you need to eat, then 
we want to think about where those calories come from. And for the most part, we want them to come from whole foods. So single ingredient, unprocessed foods for the most part. Please allow space in your diet for some treats because we all need treats. So we're getting whole foods, single ingredients, unprocessed foods. Then you want to think about protein. And my recommendation, especially if weight loss or preventing weight gain is a goal, you want to center every single meal around your protein source, aiming for roughly 0.75 grams to one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So if your ideal body weight was 150 pounds, that might be around about 150 grams of protein per day, maybe somewhere around 120, 150. And so there are sometimes reasons that we may want to reduce protein intake if somebody has a lot of GI issues and they're not necessarily digesting and absorbing protein very well, then protein restriction in the short term can be beneficial. But we don't want to sustain that longer than as required. So once you are, your digestion is working really well and you're managing to digest and absorb proteins well, then you want to get your protein intake up. And here also making sure that the first meal of the day has 30 grams or more of protein. This is important for stabilizing your blood sugar, for delaying cravings later on in the day, but it's also helping to create what is known as an anabolic switch. So anabolic is a building of muscle. When we go into anabolism, we're building things. When we go into catabolism, we're breaking things down. So when you do your fast overnight, you have your evening meal and then you don't eat anything until the next day. Overnight in your fasted state, you're going to start to become catabolic. You're going to start to break things down. So when you eventually break your fast, you want to flip that anabolic switch and make sure that you're building things up again, because this is going to support at the very least for you to maintain the muscle mass you do have, and hence your metabolic rate, or possibly even build some muscle. Research has shown that just increasing protein intake in some individuals can help them gain muscle mass, even if they aren't resistance training. So what that means for you specifically is if you aren't able to do a lot of exercise, you can still eat more protein that might actually help you gain some muscle mass or at the very least maintain the muscle mass you do have. And this is why we want to make sure we have adequate protein and we're centering meals around protein and we're getting enough protein first thing in the morning. Not necessarily first thing as soon as you wake up, but when you have your first meal, you're having 30 grams of protein or more in that meal. Once we've got the protein nailed, we want to think about blood sugar balance. And this is where we want to be eating in a way that supports blood sugar moving in a narrow range throughout the day. So the guidance I give my clients is to keep their blood sugar between about four and six millimol per liter. That might mean that if their blood sugar was four, and then they had a meal, the maximum we want to see blood sugar increase after that meal would be six, and then back down again two hours after eating. So I did a whole episode on blood sugar. It's episode 10. You can go and listen to that if you want more details, but essentially you want to be eating each day in a way that encourages blood sugar to stay within a narrow range. Once we've achieved that, we want to think about plants. 
So make sure our diet has lots of fiber that will help with the blood sugar control. And there's color and there's just an abundance of plants in the diet that's really great for the gut and the microbiome. And then we want to fill in the rest of our calories from fats. So olive oil, oily fish, nuts and seeds, avocado, cold pressed oils, eggs, good quality fats from good quality meats. All of these things will contribute to that total calorie intake, which should be sensible, as we've already discussed. So those are some principles to follow just generally for movement, food, and also just thinking about the bigger picture. There are definitely things we can do to minimize weight gain during our fatigue recovery. And there might even be things you can do to lose weight in your fatigue recovery. I think it definitely depends on the individual, what imbalances they have, what work they're doing at the moment, what their nervous system is doing. Obviously each, each case is special, each case is unique. But the purpose of today is just giving you a framework so that you have something that you know you can do, which will support your recovery as a whole, not only your waistline. So the final thing I just wanted to touch on very briefly is body image. As I said at the beginning of the episode, I am not a body image expert. I'm not an eating disorder expert, so I don't feel it's my place to go into this in a huge amount of detail, but I think there'll be other podcasts that are dedicated to that. But how I wanted to start this was to say that many women prior to experiencing a fatigue condition, shall we call it, may have struggled with body image already. And that could be a factor which has actually contributed to the development of fatigue because it is inherently stressful to be worrying about how you look, worrying about your weight, worrying about what you're putting in your mouth, worrying about how much exercise you've done every single moment of every single day. It is incredibly draining and stressful. And this is where I kind of think of this as like a little bit of a chicken or an egg because my belief at least is a lot of our body image issues develop as coping mechanisms for the dysregulation that's in the system already so this you know could go back as far as you know prenatal trauma or childhood trauma or different stressful events that have happened in our life and the conditions that we've been experienced and the conditions that we've been exposed to or things that we've experienced or what people have said and you know, what was happening in the family home, what was our mum's belief, you know, belief and attitude towards weight and food and diet and exercise. There's so many influential factors. But I think what makes those factors land in the body is if there is this traumatic response, the state of dysregulation, and then the individual learns how to cope with the discomfort of that regulation through either comfort eating or through control, so controlling food, restricting food, or excessively exercising, or a combination of all of the above, so going through periods of restriction and excessive exercise and then binging. And so 
to a certain extent, these patterns, the exercise, the binging, or the restriction, are coping mechanisms to cope with the dysregulation in the system. But at the same time, they breed more dysregulation, which is why they are dysfunctional coping mechanisms. Because then if we can't control something, or we can't exercise as much as what we want, or we notice that our weight has gone up on the scale, then that's a trigger for more dysregulation. And then and a strengthening of those coping mechanisms, which are essentially dysfunctional. So all of this is something that is just eating away at the system for decades. And then we have the other things that could possibly happen. You know, there might be nutrient deficiencies. It could be a parasitic infection, a mold exposure, another traumatic event, um, a viral infection, and then those things come in, they're the straw that breaks the camel's back, um, and then somebody develops a post-viral syndrome or chronic fatigue syndrome or mold illness or something like that. So we kind of have to understand that then you've got this person who is already maybe quite um, using food and exercise and control to manage their dysregulation. They experience a chronic illness, which feels very much out of control. Then their weight starts to change because of the changes happening in the body as they navigate the illness. And that feels even more out of control. And then they can't necessarily turn to exercise because exercise isn't an option anymore. If they comfort eat, they just gain more weight. And the restriction is only a short-term measure, which may or may not even make a difference. So where does this person go from here? And this is where nervous system work can be really beneficial. And that could be doing something like my Nurturing Resilience Group program. It could be working one-on-one -on -one with me somatically. Or if you think you have quite a severe disordered eating pattern and you need more specialized help actually going to somebody or a somatic practitioner who works specifically with eating disorders would probably be my recommendation and because ultimately what we want to do is we want to we want to have more regulation in the system all of the the patterns around food exercise and restriction have developed because there was dysregulation there in the first place and as the nervous system becomes more regulated the stories of the mind change so our perception of our own body our perception of food our perception of exercise will change a more regulated system also means that we don't need to use those coping mechanisms as much and we're more flexible to develop alternative, more helpful coping mechanisms. We also just have more capacity to be with the discomfort. So sure, you know, your weight may change over your fatigue recovery journey and that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but there's a difference between thinking and experiencing the discomfort and going, gosh, this is really uncomfortable for me versus not wanting to experience the discomfort and then doing something to override it, going to eat something, exercising outside of your capacity, restricting your food intake. Sometimes the reason why we choose these unhelpful coping mechanisms is to avoid the experience. But somatic work and nervous system work allows us to hold the experience and to work with the experience and hopefully find a more powerful resolution. And somatic work, nervous system work, that's part of the fatigue recovery journey anyway. And so 
if you are struggling a lot with your weight and being able to experience your weight or perceptions of your body image, doing this nervous system work is not only going to help you in that regard, it's probably going to help you across your fatigue recovery journey as a whole. So that is where I will wrap up for today. Let me know if you found this helpful, if you found it interesting. Of course, if you do need more help and support in this area, I have already mentioned there's my Nurturing Resilience Group program, there's one-on-one work. And then if you think that you have a bigger challenge, a history of very disordered eating, I would really recommend working with someone who specializes in that area specifically but maybe in conjunction with someone who can also support those other parts and components of your fatigue recovery. As always, it has been such a pleasure sharing all of this with you today. And if you have enjoyed listening, I would love to invite you to leave a review on iTunes. Your reviews change the ranking of the podcast. It means that more people are able to find it. I'll see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful fatigue recovery day.